Different people have different uh, tastes in, in all forms of art, but I don't like scary movies. Um, I, I really have a very low tolerance for scary movies. Um, there, you know, if it's if it's got you know some psychological thriller with some terrible person who's you know a serial killer or something, I'm, you know, check me out. So I'm not interested. Um, and the same thing if there's like supernatural forces, you know, uh, uh, dark uh, uh, vampires and werewolves and things like that. I'm not into scary movies. Um, and um, there is one exception, and that is the zombie movie. It, I, I, I will I will put up with a zombie movie. Even there, I don't like the ones that involve dead zombies, right? So or undead zombies. So so the classic movies, you know, Night of the Living Dead, and more recent things like Shaun of the Dead. You know, again, I'm not I'm not into those, but I do like the ones that have, or I'm, I'm I like more the ones that have a science fiction connection. So somehow or another, the the space aliens or the space virus or something comes in and um, uh, changes us. So um, uh, some of the more recent ones. So um, so I, I will put up with a zombie movie, but um, the 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 way zombie movies work, uh, if you're not familiar with the the genre, is there is there is something some some cause maybe it's you know they got bitten by another zombie or maybe you know it's a space virus or whatever it is um, but something happened and the people who used to be one way become a different way now sometimes they're they're really ugly they you know they're obviously zombies and it's 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 very clear you want to avoid them in other cases you can't tell there's this kind of psychological component where anybody might be one of them they they are among us that kind of idea so so there's different different ways of doing that but what they have in common is this idea that that someone um, is is a particular way and they change um, they are changed um, by their circumstances and they become a zombie. And I was thinking about that because in our reading today, the Apostle Paul has has essentially the same idea, only in reverse. He imagines, or the way that he presents the, the, the thing that God is doing in us is kind of the opposite. We kind of start as zombies. He would say, he would say we start dead, spiritually dead, and we become, we become Alive, we become truly alive. We become spiritually alive. So, so the picture he's got is kind of the opposite of a zombie movie. Um, it's it's working in the opposite direction. So um, that's that's the picture. And he uses language like spiritually alive and spiritually dead. He talks about um, that, and and that's what we've been seeing over the last several weeks as we we look through the first eleven chapters of um, the the book of Romans, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Uh, he uses he he he's explaining what happens because it's not something that we do. We don't have to work our way toward um, unzombying ourselves to, toward toward that spiritual life. It's something that happens to us because of what Jesus has done in his life and death and resurrection. Jesus has enabled us to leave behind that that other form of existence that we can we can become truly alive. We can become. Um, alive where in the past we were spiritually dead. So so the question then, and the question that he's going to wrestle with in the rest of the letter is, okay, so now that you are no longer a zombie, now that you are spiritually alive, now what? 
What, what do you do? What do you do after that? And Paul assumes that people will want this. You know, again, if you've seen a zombie movie, you know, the zombies are coming for you. People run away. So, right, no one says, oh, good. You know, I, I was hoping I could, right? So, so the idea is that you want to not be a zombie. So Paul's assuming that this is an attractive offer, that, that people who truly understand or even have an inkling of what it means to, to be alive will prefer that to being dead. So the question is, how does that look? What does it look like when we are living as spiritually alive people? What is, what is, what are our lives like? And that's what he's going to talk about in the rest of this letter. And, and he really just kind of, um, sets the tone or kind of, uh, uh maybe, uh, puts a heading on that idea or, or the ideas that he will develop in the rest of the letter. Um, he he develops them briefly here in chapter 12, at the beginning of chapter 12. So that's what we're going to look at um, in our reading today. So Paul begins, you know, this is this is all answering the question, how do you live now that you are truly alive? So he begins by saying, so brothers and sisters, because of God's mercies, I encourage you. He's saying, again, this is something that happens to you. It's not something you had to do. He's not saying you have to, you know, go on a pilgrimage or or give so much money to your church or anything else. He's saying this is something that is already available to you because of what Jesus has done. So he's not telling you what you have to do. He's telling you now if you want to to live into that new existence that is available to you, how do you do it? So he says, I encourage you. Um, in light of these mercies that God has shown you. So what does he encourage us to do? He encourages us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your appropriate priestly service. So Paul says that um, we are a living sacrifice, and I think partly he's he's playing on the idea that we are now truly alive. But more than that, he's, he's thinking about the, the sacrificial systems that the religions that uh, were were present in the first century would have used. Um, whether you were a, a member of a pagan religion in Rome or whether you were a, a Jew living in Jerusalem, you would have had the same idea about religion, which is that a temple is involved and a temple is basically a, a slaughterhouse that you you bring your goat or your calf or whatever it is to the to the temple and the priest there makes a sacrifice on on your behalf. So the the priest sacrifices that animal on the altar in the temple and uh, and that's what is involved in any kind of religion and Paul's saying Paul's saying well now that you're you're truly alive um, present your bodies as a living sacrifice not not a dead sacrifice God doesn't need any more dead animals we're done with that um, now we we are we, we can be living sacrifices so that's the first idea he's got here but but the other thing he's doing and this is this is something we pass over because we don't have that that you know there's not a temple on every third street corner or something um, in this town uh, we don't have that kind of situation but if we did we would we would know the way the temple systems always worked which is you didn't offer the sacrifice you you took your goat or you took enough money to pay for a goat to the temple and then somebody else offered that sacrifice to you uh, on your behalf. He offered it to the God, um, uh, and and it was done on your behalf. And he's saying, no, you can do that. You can do that yourself. You have the ability now, uh, because of the way you've been transformed, because of what God is doing in you, uh, you have the ability to bring your own sacrifice to God directly, um, unmediated by this priestly system that, that now you are the priest. And so you can do this. And if you're wondering, okay, well, I was just wondering, how do I live 
now that I'm not dead. And now you're saying, oh, and by the way, I also need to learn how to be a priest. He's saying, no, this is it. Just present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So this is your appropriate priestly sacrifice. So our first point is that every Christ follower is a priest. Every Christ follower has immediate access to God. Any one of us at any time can bring our concerns, um, our joys and, and concerns, our prayers, our sacrifices before God because we have become priests uh, as a result of our relationship with Christ. So he says, uh, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. And then he says, <clears throat> don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. So now he's saying, okay, this is more the, the broad picture of, of how do you live now that you're alive. He says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. So why, why not? Well, he's saying, he's saying that the world, the, the language he's using here is, um, like a, a mold that you would, you would, you know, put clay into or something malleable. You'd put it in the mold and then you would make something out of it, you know, uh, uh, cupcake pan you know you're he says the world pushes you into these these shapes and he's saying don't let the world do that to you why not because this age is passing away this present world is passing away when jesus returns the new world will be revealed in its entirety that that uh this is a temporary state right now the old age is still with us and the new age is still dawning but in this temporary state, the old age is passing away. You wouldn't want to be shaped properly for a world that's passing away. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? So he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Instead, instead he says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you can figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. So he means be transformed. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So um, what does he mean by um, being transformed? Well, partly he means he means reorienting yourself because the world will, on a you know continual basis, the world will try to push you into that shape. The world will tell you, no, this is the way we do things around here. You've got to you've got to act this way. You know, if you want to if you want to get ahead, you've got to go along. You know, don't make waves. The world does that to us. The world tries to push us into that shape. And he says there's a process of continually. Re- renewing your mind in one sense, which is just to to reorient yourself and to to reframe and say no, that's the world that is passing away. That is this present age that is passing, and I need to be focused on the age that is coming. So partly he's just saying there's this reframing or or um, uh, 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 reorienting yourself that that is necessary because of the way the world operates on us. But he means more than just you know psych yourself out. He's not talking about simply. You know, I've got to kind of, you know, think hard and remember that, that this something's different. He's saying that there, there is actually, um, a change in us that, that, you know, going back to my overused zombie analogy, um, that, that we aren't those people anymore. We're not that group of dead people. We are now alive. That, that a transformation has already begun. It is not, it's not fully arrived. It's, it's in process. Uh, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God is like a seed growing in the ground or, or yeast in a batch of dough. And he's saying this is a place where that happens. In our minds, they are renewed. This is actually the front line of that um, dawning of the new age. So the age to come is here in personal renewal. So that's the second point in the outline. Uh, the age to come is already present in our personal renewal. So he says, he says, look at that. 
figure out what's going on there to the you know to the extent we we can we can be aware we can we can be aware of it um that's what we should be doing we should be looking at it and uh trying to figure out what it is that god is doing in us what is god changing us into about 400 AD the um the uh, theologian augustine of hippo he was a um he was a theologian working in north africa and he wrote a book called the confessions and in it he says he says my soul is like a house, small for you to enter, but I pray to you, you to enlarge it. It is in ruins, but I ask you to remake it. He says, he says, look, I'm a dump, okay? You know, I'm a real fixer-upper, but, you know, who else, who else can fix me, right? So he says, he says, this is the transformation I'm looking for. And he's, he's asking God, be, be at work, you know, help me to, to perceive you at work in, in me, changing, changing my, um, my uh, um, changing me so that I am no longer conformed to the patterns of, of the age that's passing away, but instead are becoming and becoming something suitable for the new age. So he says, "I want to be that kind of house." So he says that. Now, um, if if you uh, maybe some of you can relate to that, maybe some of you can remember when you first became a Christian, or even yesterday. Um, that you experienced some 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 sort of success or victory that you said you know the old me wouldn't have done that the old me would have seen it a different way um, I, I do seem like I'm, I'm I'm changing at least in this area I think I think I'm I'm seeing some success God is helping me to do something in a way that was easy yesterday but in the past wouldn't have been easy so so we may be aware of some success that that uh, we're having in particular areas but we might not be. It doesn't mean, though, that it's not happening because because God's priorities may not be the same as ours, and the things that we're concerned about may not be the things that God is concerned about. God may be concerned about something else. Um, uh, the English writer uh, C.S. Lewis he borrows the metaphor, the, the the picture that Augustine came up with this this metaphor of a house, and he says he says so. God is at work in your house, and he says at first. Perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping leaks in the roof and so on. And, you know, when that happens, you say, sure enough, that's God at work. You know, I am becoming different. You knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But but presently, he, God, starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the answer is he's building a different house than you thought of. He, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. So we don't know what God's priorities are. We don't know really. We don't have a good picture of what it is that God wants us to become. I mean, we're, we will be like Christ, but you know, what does that mean for tomorrow? I'm, I'm sure that tomorrow I won't be like Christ. I'll be maybe a little bit more like Christ, but I don't know in what way. So he's saying, renew your minds in the sense of reevaluate, reevaluate who you are in light of what God is doing in you. So, so renew your mind, get a new understanding of what you are becoming. That, that as you get more information, as you, as this transformation unfolds, reevaluate who you are. And so he says, this way, you can figure out what God's will is. Where is God taking you? What is the the end that that God has in mind for you? Figure out what God's will is, what is good and pleasing and mature. So, he says, renew your minds as part of this transformation process. So, 
That's kind of the big idea for the next four chapters. But he gives us a specific application because this, this immediately uh, leads to something, and I assume it led to, to things in Rome, but it certainly does today. He says, because of the grace that God gave me, I can say to each one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So if you had some success, maybe maybe there was something that was difficult for you in the past that, that you felt like you, you were... Um, Unable to resist a particular temptation that, that, you know, that whenever you tried, it was a spectacular belly flop. And, and now you have had some success. He says, there's a danger here, which is you'll say, okay, sin no longer has a hold on me. And, um, as we've seen in the last several, several chapters, he says, well, sin may not control you, but sin is still there and sin is going to be appealing to you. So he says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That recognize that as long as this age continues, um, until the new age has fully come, sin is going to be a part of, of your life. It's going to be a part of your existence. It's going to be something that is appealing to you. So he says, beware of that. So don't think more highly of, of that uh, than, than, um, than you should. And um, so the application is, he says, be reasonable. Be reasonable. Think things over. Use your reason. Since God has measured out a portion of faith to each of you. So he says, God has, is at work in you, but, but he's not done. That some things will be, will be possible for you now that weren't in the past. Some things will still be difficult for you. So he says, be reasonable. Each of you has a different portion of faith. And the application then is recognize you're different. You're different from the other people around you. If, if you're puzzled, as you, as you think about that house, that house metaphor, he says, you don't understand what God is doing, right? You know, why does, why is he suddenly doing this? I understood at first, but now why is God working on this thing right here? He says, if you don't even understand what God's doing in yourself, how much less could you possibly, how could you possibly understand what God is doing in somebody else? I mean, with somebody else, you only see the outside. With you, you at least have some sense of what's going on inside. So he says, you can't possibly measure anybody else. So he says, we have many parts in the body, but the parts don't all have the same function. That, that God has a purpose in, in, uh, in doing these transformations differently for different people because the body is different. Um, so our third point, God is unveiling his intention for you. That as you're reevaluating, as your, as your mind is renewed, as you understand better the transformation that is undergoing, um, recognize that that's for you. You know, I have no idea how God is at work in you or you, right? I don't, I don't know. So I, I can have some sense of what God is doing in me and I can't possibly understand what God is doing in you. I might say, well, she's different now or, He's doing that in a way he didn't used to, but I'll never really get a sense of exactly of what God is doing in you. So God's intentions are unveiled for each of us. And so he says, in the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to one another. So he's bringing us back to the, the question about um, about about sacrifice. So he says, we have many parts in the body, um, and uh, there are one... Um, so, so he says that uh, there's one body in Christ, and individually we, we belong to each other. If you think of if you think of those zombie movies again, uh, the way a zombie movie works is you could be anything. You could be a stockbroker or a, a, a homemaker. You could be old. You could be young. But when you when you become a zombie, you kind of become part of that undifferentiated mass of 
of the zombie horde who is trying to attack the person or whatever, right? You all those distinctions vanish. So turn that around. In a sense, Paul's saying that that in the most important way of all, you're different. Um, that that uh, now that you are no longer a zombie, now that you are back, back you have been brought to life. That um, you are truly different in a way you weren't before. That all of us, when we are spiritually dead, are alike in the most important way. That even, you know, we, we may look at each other and say, well, you know, they're old, young, male, female, you know, rich, poor. We may look at those distinctions and Paul's saying, yeah, but those distinctions don't matter. Now that you have been brought to life, you will start to see real distinctions. You'll start to see the way God is really developing each of you differently. So he says, you're one body, but you're different. You're different. And, you know, if you think about, you know, your body, right? My right arm will say my left arm is all backwards. It's like it's got everything wrong, right? <laughs> and and he's saying that think about think about a body, you know, that that the foot has no idea what's appropriate for a hand. So he's saying, um, so do that. And this is where he comes back to sacrifices. He says, so present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The reason for that is that every priest performs sacrifices on behalf of someone. That the priest doesn't simply uh, offer sacrifices for fun. The, the priest does it for the nation or for uh, an individual or for some group or something like that. The priest always offers sacrifices on behalf of someone else. So he's saying, he's saying so do these things, live this way as a sacrifice on behalf of the rest of the body. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice for the rest of your body. So, you know, you're the right hand, do it for the left hand, right? Because, you know, the right hand laying on the ground by itself isn't going to be much of a body. You're not going to want that. He says, instead, think of yourself as part of this whole body. You will offer sacrifices for them. They will offer sacrifices for you. So, he says, um, we have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. So, we are different, and so we should use those um, according to um, according to our, our, our giftedness. So um, how do we do that? Well, as I mentioned to the children, will you do it in proportion to, to whatever you have? Uh, so he talks about, um, he, he's got, there, there's, he lists seven here. I'll just read through them. He says, we have different gifts. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in, according, uh, in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, you should devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one with giving, the one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion and the one showing mercy should be cheerful. So he lists these seven. And, uh, because, because Paul was a first century Jew, um, my guess is the number seven means all there are. That seven is a, is a, is not a literal number seven. He's thinking these are representative of all, all of the different ways people can do this. And as I mentioned to the children, whatever, whatever it is, whatever your particular gifting is, whether you're a right hand or a left hand, lean into that. You know, uh, embrace that. Live wholeheartedly as a right hand. Use that gifting. Whatever God has made you or is in the process of making you, use that. Use it completely. Use it, use it up. Use it up. Don't leave any on, you know, the, the, how does it go? Leave it all in the field, right? Don't leave any behind. Use up whatever gift you've got because, because whatever you have now, 
This is this age is passing away. This is just the beginning of what God is doing in you. So if 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 you have some, use it up because there's more on the way. God God is changing you into something new. So whatever your gift is, that's really God's problem. If you run out, you know, maybe God will give you more. Maybe God will give you a new gift because circumstances have, have changed. That use up whatever gift you've got. Use it wholeheartedly. And the reason for that is that sacrifices are consumed entirely. You put the sacrifice on the altar and you set fire to it and it is gone. That's the way a sacrifice is. So if you're presenting your your body, the, the giftedness that is in your body as a sacrifice, use it up. Use it all up on behalf of the rest of the body. So use the whole sacrifice. Um, use the whole gift. Use up the whole gift. And what happens next is God's problem. Because this age is passing away. Why would you save something, you know, for this age? When this age is passing away and the new, the new age, the age that is coming, will be different. That you'll have so much more of anything you need. So use up that sacrifice. So how do we live now that we are no longer zombies? How do we live? Well, the first thing is we recognize that we are now uh, able to access God directly. We are priests. We have unmediated access to God. And the second is to realize that God is at work in us and we are changing. God is changing us um, in our personal renewal. He's making us new, starting with our minds. And he's doing the same for everybody else. And we need to understand what his priorities are for them may not be the same as they are for us, that God is unveiling his intentions for each of us individually. And then finally, whatever God is doing in us, whatever God has gifted us with, to remember that we should use it all because there's more coming. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the um, the information, the, the, the good news that Paul passes on, that now that we have been um, made truly alive and are no longer spiritually dead, that there is a pattern of living that we can lean into and and um, truly be alive as um, priests offering sacrifices to you on behalf of one another. We pray, Lord, you'd help us to, um, to lean into this teaching and the way we live our lives. We ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.